It's Thursday, February 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hanson, and from Fool.com, David Hanson. Happy Thursday, guys. Hey. Yo. Feeling good? In general? Yeah, in general. I have a hip thing, but other than that, I'm You have a hip thing? Yeah, I got knocked down playing basketball, and just, it's like... Won't, won't go away. I think you're officially in old man territory. I no, just, it's true. Anytime it's you have true. a hip thing. <laughs> I was going to say, you're a young man to have a hip thing. Uh, you know, I just fell on it, and it just, I got knocked down twice, hit the same spot. It's just, you know, and I don't have a lot of padding down there. <laughs> I need, like, those shorts with the, the, well, the pads. I need the shorts with the pads, and then it would have been better, but. We're going to wrap up the week with some earnings. We're going to talk a little Bitcoin Let's start with Baidu because fourth quarter revenue was up 50%, although they did miss on profit. Uh, for those that don't know, this is China's largest search engine. What did you make of the quarter, Tim? Uh, it, was a, it was a good quarter on the top line. Baidu is increasingly becoming more than just a search engine, a lot like Google is, right? They've, they've acquired a big app store in China. They have a video site called iQiyi, which is kind of like YouTube. And they've got a travel thing called Chunar. Um, which is like, you know, I don't know, ITA software or, you know, uh, Priceline.com, something like that. So they're increasingly diversifying into other parts of the internet. Um, it, it, it did wonderful things for their top line in the quarter with it looks like revenue per search, revenue per user, all ticking up really nicely. Uh, that was exciting for the market because everybody, they'd sort of seen decelerating growth rates and now they put up accelerating growth rates and they guided to further acceleration of their growth rate in uh, in Q1, which was really exciting. Now, the cost of, of achieving that revenue growth was significantly greater spending on the SG&A line, which they attributed to promotion of their mobile applications. Um, but they said they're up to 20% of revenue was mobile, which was, I think, about $300 million in the quarter which if you believe my guesstimate math, they went from like $40 million mobile revenue in Q1 to $300 million in Q4, which is incredibly good. That's great. Um, so they're getting a return on that investment, um, but they're also investing heavily in R&D, and that all weighed on the on operating expenses, which caused EBIT margins to decline pretty dramatically, um, both sequentially and year over year. Market's giving them the benefit of the doubt on that because they think the investment now is important to preserve market share tomorrow, and obviously revenue per user and all those things, you know, They'll monetize in the future. The same dynamics that are at work in sort of the U.S. tech space are at work in the China tech space when people think about valuation. Um, so it was, you know, they, they did what they said they were going to do. The positive mean is more revenue. The negative is it costs them more to do it. Um, and where you fall on Baidu probably depends on whether or not you think that monetization on the Internet will continue to get better over time. Do they – I'm assuming they face the same thing that Google and pretty much every company in the U.S. faces in terms of mobile revenue, sort of the uh, – typically what we saw with Google was, yeah, they need to make money off of mobile, but they're making less money. They're able to charge less per ad, that sort of thing. Yeah, Baidu doesn't isn't quite as transparent as Google is about really? things like <laughs> a company in China is not as transparent as you know on things like cost per click and whatnot. But if you reverse engineer it, you know the same factors are at play, which is that mobile users are way more likely to search for things and, and whatnot, but they're much less likely to monetize that search somehow, whether it's just because the interface is smaller or what have you. Um, who knows why that is? Um, but it looks like. Their, the revenue they're getting per mobile search has come up really dramatically in the in the quarter. I don't know exactly what explains that. You know, some of it's their location-based stuff. Some of it is some of the new 
um, applications they're using on, on mobile, uh, I'm sure. Um, but that, you know, that's the challenge. And, and for Baidu, it was particularly tough because I think Google did a really nice job of anticipating the, the change to mobile with Android and everything like that. Whereas Baidu, which had just a dominant, dominant position on desktop search, was a little bit caught, a little bit more flat-footed by the switch to mobile in China. And a couple of competitors have sprung up there, um, which is why they got sort of punished in the middle of 2013 by the stock market. But they've, you know, their brand is really good. Um, I think they've got the, one of the best corporate cultures in China in terms of attracting talent and whatnot. And so I think those advantages are starting to play out for them. I don't follow Baidu too closely, so I'm going to take advantage of our expert, Tim, here, <laughs> the Baidu expert, it seems. The first thing you hear with Baidu is always, it's the Chinese Google. Yes. In which way is this not the Chinese Google? Can you give me like a couple sentences on how this is different and how the story is a little different? Well, I guess you know the story is a little different in the sense. Well, Google for you know Google, I think has has been morphing. They were a search engine that's now morphed into like a think tank in mm-hmm. some ways. And I think Baidu would like to get there over time, but there's a much more conservative culture. And you know, if you go visit their headquarters, it kind of looks like Google. It's nice. Um, they have free food and everything like that. So it's, it's very Western by Chinese standards. But those are Chinese standards, and I think it's still run very much like an Asian company, which is that they're a little bit slower to react. They're t- they're spending not on things like driverless cars and Google X, right? Which you know, you know, people make fun of Google for that, but I actually think that's a, that's a fun and exciting part of that company. Um, and I think Google is probably a little more forward thinking, and Baidu historically has been a little bit more just let's copy what we see working in other parts of the world. I think they've done a nice job now of breaking out of that shell, and you know, their 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 app store that they bought, and some of the things they're doing with their box computing and their light app. Um, mobile interface and things like that are, are actually pretty innovative. And it would be, I think, for them, you know, they're in a market where their their competition tends to just be copycats. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was just people were fighting over, you know, who could get – if I could get myself hardwired onto these phones, then I'll get market share because I offer the exact same stuff. And Baidu's tried to start differentiating themselves a little bit. By that actually it, being better, actually, yeah, <laughs> actually offering things that are that are nice um, and useful, and that's cost them a lot of money, and their 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 operating margin has dropped from like you know forty five percent to twenty five percent, which is a huge drop. But I think long term, it benefits them because I mean consumers worldwide. I mean you know, people have made fun of Chinese consumers in the past, but their 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 demands on quality are going up noticeably, and you know pirated crap isn't going to win the day in China over right. the long term. So, Like a lot of stocks, shares of Baidu have had a pretty phenomenal run over the last 12 months. When you look at the stock today, does it look expensive? Does it look fairly valued? What do you think? You know, this is one uh, that we, we own shares of. It's actually quite – it is probably it is one of our top 10, 11 positions um, in, the, in, the, in, in two funds, uh, the Independence Fund and the Epic Voyage Fund. And we have – um, I, I would call the valuation probably a little bit more than fair. Um, but having said that, you know, it's one that we're willing to hold and um, watch to see where they go just because they're doing some interesting things. And, you know, judging them by their EBIT margins today, I think with a company like that is a disservice to where the where the future could take it. A stock that has not had an amazing 12 months but is certainly winning today is JCPenney. <laughs> Shares are up more than 20% after their fourth quarter results. They reported a small profit, David, profit of $35 million, which when you consider a year ago, their loss was north of $500 million. That's obviously great. Uh, revenue came in a little bit lower. 
what what is this today? Is this is this a dead cat bounce? Is this just a <laughs> well the stock has just gotten hammered so badly that it's worth a little bit more now? What do you think? It's a combination of all those things. And yes, they reported a quarterly profit, but all of that was basically because of a big tax asset asset they had. So the actual operating performance was still a loss. So it's not yeah. all totally awesome at JC right. quite yet. <laughs> all of Surprising. a sudden. Um, they're turning around, but it depends on your kind of frame of reference. They're turning around compared to where they were last year. I mean, it's hard to get worse than they were last year when they did the no more sales, low prices every day. That's the way we're going to do it now. They're turning around from then because that's a pretty easy turnaround. They're not going to get back to the market share they had 10, 20 years ago. I mean, it's just, it's not going to happen. So I think they've made the right moves in terms of ditching that low prices every day. That was obviously a failed strategy because they tried to do it kind of at the expense of their existing business and they alienated all their customers and then they had no more capital to fund their new kind of store within a store operation. So it was just a failure. Um, I've talked to people in the retail industry and what they think that JCPenney needs to do is get more third-party vendors in there, have products that people actually want to buy. So they've tried their whole Joe Cool thing. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Imagine that. That. People is that the buy to retail? <laughs> that is. So Joe Cool, I don't know. I don't own any Joe Cool stuff. I don't know any people wanting to own Joe Cool. Um, so reaching out, becoming kind of a, not becoming Macy's, but you can go to Macy's and get brands that you want. People don't go to JCPenney because there aren't brands that they want there. So reaching out and trying to become that kind of channel that has multiple things that people actually want, there's a chance there. Well, another thing that Macy's has going for it is smart leadership when it comes to managing their footprint. They just seem to do a much better job of managing not just are we maximizing every square foot within these locations, but are we – being smart about our growth? Are we being smart about how many Macy's there are across the country? That sort of thing. And it seems like that's yet another thing where JCPenney really needs to think harder about the number of locations they have. Right. I, I see that as kind of, it's happened. I mean, they're closing stores. They have what they have. So they're going to deal with the hand that's been dealt with, dealt to them now. If you're looking at the stock today, and I've, I've always said that JCPenney's probably a buy at some price. Most, Almost every stock is a buy at some price. I mean, if it's cheap enough, you can buy it. But if you're looking at this and saying, well, I'm going to wait to see if the turnaround really happens, same store sales keep moving in the right direction, you're going to be too late. If you're waiting for the results to, to look good in this, you're going to be too late because I think the market, if it does happen, is going to be very forward looking and it'll already moved up to kind of a fair value. So that's just my thought. That's too hard. Yeah, you know when you've had I'm as much when you've had as much management turnover as they've had, and I, I can't even I, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to be an employee at JCPenney right now, in terms of like multiple failed strategies and leadership fighting and Bill Ackman showing up and sowing discord and it just seems like they did a lot of things wrong. And you know what they you know the economy is getting better. I mean, they get back to their core customer, good things could happen to them. But it's just the the re- retail is hard. And I think if you're not really differentiated either on price or on the wares that you sell. And and I think David alluded to the fact that JCP right now isn't really differentiated on either. And it's trying to get back to being, I guess, a pri- differentiated on price. But, you know, the advice is go differentiate yourself on product. Yeah, I don't know where they go. It's a really hard one to analyze. Another retail stock that's up this week, um, maybe deservedly so, maybe not, is Target. Their fourth quarter profits fell 46% 
but Tim, this is yet another example of, well, the stock beat expectations. Well, the expectations had been lowered over the last few weeks to the point where they were basically lying on the ground. Uh, and I know that, you know, their CEO is, uh, their CEO has a fan in you. Well, they, I just think they did a, they did a pretty bad job of, um, well, look, did anybody, did you, did you guys read that story in the Wall Street Journal, which was like a day in the life of Greg Steinhaffel and like how I responded to the crisis? No. It was, so it was like a front page story and they clearly, their PR people, you know, contacted. Slowly, by the way, was that the subhead well, no, that was the thing. Slowly? That was the thing. It was like. It was, this, you know, I don't know what's happened to hard reporting at the Wall Street Journal, but it was like this glowing story about how like firm he was and how we had to do the right thing and disclose everything, even though it was the hard decision. Which and it was like, it was hor- I mean, it's kind of like horse crap because if you go back and look at the actual like timeline of events at Target, I think the day or two before they disclosed that they had this data breach, they put out a press release saying, "Hey, look." Sales this quarter have been pretty good. We're, we're we're doing well, but at the time they put out that release, they knew they had a data breach because people were already like investing. They'd already been phone called up and been like, "Hey, internally, you know, you guys have lost a, like a, a a crap ton of credit card numbers. Um, you know, that could be a problem. Whoops. You know, and but then they still go ahead and put out this PR, and so." It, what what makes it hard is that all right business yes fell off the transactions fell off a cliff after everybody thought you go to Target you're going to get your credit card number stolen, um, but the question is 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 you know was the business in trouble prior to that and you know was this press I mean how was management being misleading about the trends in the sales cycle in the holiday season and then using this credit card thing as an excuse I, to me there's there's an issue at Target now with. Um, with, with just accountability and, and the ability to trust management and forecasting. And so, you know, the results, you know, take them or leave them because I think when, when credibility questions seep into a management team as an investor, it's just like, wow, I got there 25,000 other stocks in the world I can look at. Right. David, is there any retailer out there that you like? Or is it, as we've talked about, such a challenging industry that at the end of the day, you just think, as an investor, I've got better places to look. I've owned shares of uh, Dick's Sporting Goods for a while just because I think that has a nice niche marketplace that is a little bit Amazon-proof. Not totally, obviously, mm-hmm. the smaller stuff. But the competitors in the space are horribly run, like Sports Authority. I don't want to bash Sports Authority, but the experience that you get but at it's Sports horribly Authority run? is pretty <laughs> awful. Uh, I think Dick's Sporting Goods has a pretty good management team, and they have a nice niche market. So I'm a happy shareholder. We don't often talk about Bitcoin, but when we do, we like to make fun of them. Um, the, the big story, one of the big stories this week, and we've gotten some email on this basically saying, when are you going to talk about this? And I saved it for you guys. Uh, it's the collapse of one of the Bitcoin exchanges, which you may have heard of. The exchange is Mt. Gox. And there are two data points I want to just share here. First is, in a nutshell, a security breach at this exchange resulted in the apparent theft of three-quarters of a million Bitcoins, which is 6% of all Bitcoins in the world. And the second data point, and I cannot stress this enough, Mt. Gox, the exchange, gets its name from the card game Magic the Gathering. It was an online exchange forum for enthusiasts of a card game called Magic the Gathering. Then Bitcoin comes along. They say, well, hey, here's what we can do. We can do this instead. We'll just turn our online community for Magic the Gathering into a Bitcoin exchange. And shocker, uh, here we are now and there's a security breach. 
here's my question for you guys, though. As this has unfolded, people are falling on one of two sides. There are some out there in the financial media saying this was inevitable and this is just the first domino to fall and Bitcoin as a currency is a house of cards and it will soon come crashing down. There are other people out there saying, you know what, this is actually good for Bitcoin because Mt. Gox was a joke of an exchange. This is like a a poorly run bank failing and just because a single bank fails doesn't mean the U.S. dollar is a horrible currency. From the smile on your face, Tim, I'm guessing you're going with the former, not the latter. No, no. I mean, I think it's probably the truth is probably a combination of the two. I mean, from what I read, you know, Mount Gox knew about this transaction malleability issue that resulted in this massive theft, and instead of fixing it, just kind of hoped it would go away, and was basically kind of running a Ponzi scheme because as long as new Bitcoins got deposited with them, they could fulfill withdrawals. And as soon as there was a run on them, they was like, well, well, damn it. We don't actually have all those Bitcoins because we've been systematically being robbed for a period of years. Um, so, yeah, that probably had to go away for this to become serious. True. Having said that, I don't think – no, you could have the most technologically sophisticated exchange out there trading Bitcoins and secure wallets for them. And it wouldn't solve, I think, the issues with Bitcoin being a currency, which are, you know, one, it needs to hold its value in a somewhat reliable way. or And two, it needs to be able to use to transact for goods and services. Neither one of those conditions is yet satisfied. I mean, right now, Bitcoin is more volatile than, you know, you know pick your third world, you know, developing market currency. You know, what, what what's holding its value better right now, the Indonesian rupiah or Bitcoin? I mean, the rupiah does. So... Until until you have predictable predictable value, it's not a, it's not a currency. Yeah, David, wasn't part of the case the bull case for Bitcoin when it first started that hey, look, the U.S. dollar is not, you know we you can't really depend on it, and this is a virtual currency, and therefore it's going to be more stable. I've been a somewhat supporter of the possibilities of Bitcoin. I don't own any Bitcoin, but there have been some things... Wait that, a minute. Don't, I thought you and Matt Copen have... Well, from, the, or, Mo, the Motley Fool owns a, a, a fraction of a Bitcoin for okay. a project that we did. So, <laughs> How's that work? Company out? money. Company money at work. Um, there's been some things that have come out that have been a little disheartening because one of the whole things with Bitcoin was, oh, it's so secure and every transaction can be logged and we're all fine. And then this comes out, the transaction malleability, and everyone else says, well, we knew about that, but it's really Mt. Gox's fault because they should have, they should have done their software to, to, to account for that. So that's kind of disheartening to know that there were some things that weren't being, weren't being said there. But I still think that Bitcoin or a Bitcoin lookalike, they're not going away. I still think the, the latter part of what Tim was saying in terms of the transaction uh, abilities of Bitcoin that's the most interesting part of this. And the Bitcoin entrepreneurs, quote, entrepreneurs that you you hear talk, they're usually bullish on the transaction side of this, not the currency. They'll admit it's not a good currency. But they say that on a transaction basis, it's very cheap. You can go across borders. This makes sense. Um, and there's a lot of smart people looking at this. I mean, this isn't going away. I, I was watching a talk from uh, the CEO of Circle, which is a Coinbase company or a, a Bitcoin company at MIT. And the lecture hall was overflowing of MIT students trying to learn about Bitcoin. So when you have something like this that's going through this stage, whatever stage it's in right now, and you have that many smart people looking at it, I think it's sticking around. It is a fascinating idea. This seems like a 
somewhat rough execution of a fascinating idea. I mean, you know, foreign exchange fees suck. Anybody who's traveled internationally knows that. That is a ripe industry for disintermediation. Um, is Bitcoin the solution to it? You know, if, if you buy Bitcoin and you take it to China to go spend it and it drops 15 percent while you're on the plane, that's way more than you're going to pay to <laughs> right. flip your dollars into RMB. So, I mean, that that's the issue that needs to be solved for. But, I mean, it, it is a fascinating idea that does solve for certain real-world problems and the execution just isn't there yet. Well, it could get there um, or it could not. We will wrap How's that up? for a definitive opinion? <laughs> Works for me. Uh, we will wrap up Oscar week uh, with business movies. Our listeners are weighing in. First, uh, do you guys do, do you watch the Oscars? Are you? Are, is there a film you're rooting when is for? It? That I don't even know. It's Sunday night. Oh, okay. No, I hate award shows. I do all award shows. All award shows. Even the Grammys. Yeah, definitely the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> I say that not as someone who watches the Grammys, but it seems like at least in the case of the Grammys. It's an award show that gives the people what they want, which is like they want to see people perform. It's like, well, here are musicians. Why don't you just go see people perform then? I mean, you don't need this whole like self-backslapping Spotify. You can pick whatever song you want to hear. It's like, holy cow, a bunch of people like go and applaud themselves for three hours. I Uh, mean, we should host the Motley Fool Awards. It's what we do. Give everybody everybody in the company an award. There you go. Um, if, uh, and then make people watch it on ABC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, the worst part. We, we have you have your Grammys, but don't televise it. <laughs> don't make me watch. Um, people weighing in with uh, their favorite business uh, movies, movies about money. Uh, from Bruce Hellert, he writes, I have no support for Jerry Maguire, which was mentioned yesterday. <laughs> he said, try Cash McCall. Which I had to look up. It's a film uh, from the 60s. With Is it James, an obscure art house film? Uh, no, it's with James Garner oh, and uh, Natalie Wood. Uh, from Doug, uh, Doug Haining in Springfield, Missouri. Great business movie, Risky Business. It had me wearing a pink Oxford and wanting a 944 all through the mid-1980s. From Bud Turner in Palmdale, California. Michael J. Fox in the cheesy 80s flick, The Secret of My Success. Uh, C. Gerard Smith, who submitted Executive Suite. William Holden, Barbara Stanwyck. You can almost never go wrong with Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, and fri- uh, finally, from uh, Paul Beard Nijar in Pleasanton, California, it's not an IMDb favorite, but Chris Farley fans can appreciate Tommy Boy, a story <laughs> of a do-no-good son who becomes successful selling brake pads. I think we're all on That's board awesome. with Tommy Boy. Yes. I shared that with our friend Brian Richards, who is a huge Tommy Boy fan. He is a, he is a big Tommy Boy fan. 100% agreed with that. Uh, David Hansen, a movie from the world of, of, of business, investing, and money that you'd recommend for our listeners? I'm a younger guy, so I'm going to rep my generation. Yes. I'm going to go with The Social Network. So it's a newer one. And I heard last week someone refer to it as, I guess, my generation's Wall Street, uh, the equivalent of that. I think I heard it on Planet Money, uh, the podcast. I think that's a good thing. Um, Wall Street's great. I mean, I cover banks every single day, but I much rather have our smart people going to work at tech companies and trying to think of the next big thing than go work for Goldman Sachs and think of the next great derivative. So uh, I think it's a good thing. And yeah, we'll see. The Social Network, Oscar winning film. Tim, what about you? I think Pixar's Wall E is underappreciated as a business movie. Mm. I just watched that recently with my kids. What is it? Is it Super Megacorp? Uh, it's B&L. By, B&L. But by and – what is it? By and large. By and large. By and, by and I, large, I, I, which is the massive corporate entity that appears to take over the entire – it's basically <laughs> like the United States in the far future is a corporation. Right. And the president is really just like the president slash CEO of by and large. And people have become woefully obese. And yes. I, I mean it, it is actually a very dark – 
movie for what is advertised as a kid's cartoon. It's a, um, I think the business angle there and the commentary or the satire is very unappreciated. I like Wally. I agree with that. All right. And it has a touchy, touching, very touching emotional ending. Well, yeah. Especially when you consider it's robots. Yeah. It's mainly robots. I believe I shed a tear on a, while watching that mid-flight once, Ooh. which is always awkward when you cry on an international flight. <laughs> Is it possible you were also sleep deprived? Uh, that is possible. That is very possible. Uh, you can read more from Tim Hansen and his colleagues by going to foolfunds.com and signing up for Declarations, their free monthly newsletter. Just go to foolfunds.com. Uh, and David Hansen does cover banks every day, and you can check him out with Matt Copenheffer on their show, Where the Money Is. It is free on iTunes, on Stitcher, on any number of platforms. So check it out. Uh, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. (laughs) 